Pediatric Commuters. Welcome back to a new episode. Once again, thank you for sharing the previous episodes with your colleagues. I'm excited to be joining you on your daily commute to the best job in the world. Our guest today is Dr. Elizabeth Harivan, a wonderful pediatric emergency medicine consultant from Hull Royal Infirmary. We will discuss about the sometimes tricky assessment of children with Down syndrome and other learning difficulties in an acute setting. We hope you will find these tips useful in your day-to-day practice. I have to mention that this podcast expresses the views of the host and guests and that medicine is a constantly changing science and art. One doctor may have a different way of doing things from another. Please double-check your local and national guidelines before treating any patients with this condition. The podcast is not sponsored by any drug or device companies. Have a safe commute! Today we are... Super happy to have Dr. Elizabeth Hervan with us. She's a lovely pediatric ED consultant working at Hull Royal Infirmary. And more than that, she's mom to Amy, uh, a delightful 12-year-old girl, I would say teenager, <laughs> um, that happens to have Down syndrome and autism. We are going to discuss today about the difficulty in assessing children with Down syndrome in the emergency department or in the pediatric assessment units, or even in the GP practices. Just to explain why we chose to discuss about this, we have seen on Twitter and in, in the other forms of social media an infographic produced by Dr. Harivan together with one of her colleagues, Dr. Linda Dykes from Bangor Hospital, and I'd like to ask Dr. Harvin, Liz, we'll call her Liz, uh, how, did, how did this infographic come up? Thank you, Alex. Well, shortly after the um, story of Jack Adcock hit the headlines earlier this year, I was involved in a Twitter conversation with some other emergency medicine uh, physicians, and it became very apparent that I was privy to a lot of information that my colleagues weren't. I've learned an awful lot from Amy over the years. Um, I had to chuckle when you said delightful. She's not always delightful. Um, She was always delightful when I met her. (laughs) But she has taught me an awful lot about children with learning difficulty, Down syndrome in particular and autism, and how they have certain um, issues that make diagnosing illness a lot more challenging um, for, for us. Linda suggested that we get together and and put together some of this information in an infographic to try and help some of our colleagues. And I think we've both been completely astounded with how popular that's been. And hopefully it's it's helped to raise a little bit of awareness about why um, children like Amy are a little bit different and and why uh, they're more likely to get ill and, and how much more challenging that is for us as clinicians. If you want to see the infographic or send it to your colleagues, I'll link it in the description of this podcast. We are going to discuss about most important points um, on it. What makes children with Down syndrome or other complex needs difficult to assess? Are they simply different from the physiological perspective or is it is it more than that? Okay, so a bit of both really. So physiologically, um, their responses to infection can be very different. So for example, some children might not be able to control their temperature particularly well. They might not be able to mount a pyrexia or a tachycardia or they might actually become hypothermic in response to infection. Some children, particularly with neurological conditions, obviously find it difficult to sustain an increased work of breathing, so their respiratory rate might not alter in response to an infection. Children with Down syndrome in particular tend to become very mottled very easily, so they have very poor control over their systemic vascular resistance. They tend to shut down a lot quicker than other children do, and I suppose that's, that's... a good thing initially it means they can compensate really well but often these children will come in looking absolutely shocking a lot sooner than other children will do 
But they do develop a temperature, so they can have the common cold and they... Absolutely, yeah. They develop the normal temperature. So if we see a temperature, we sh- that's absolutely normal and we should treat it Absolutely, as, as, a- <laughs> yeah, as you would do with any child. Yeah, yeah. Do they have a weak immune system? And by that I mean, do they get sick easily or do just common pathogens and viruses make them poorly compared to the children that do not have trisomy 21? Both of those things. Their immune system is weaker, but equally they often have other comorbidities that cause problems. So they might have pulmonary hypertension, they might have congenital heart disease. They also might be on medications that tend to affect the way that they respond to illness. They're particularly susceptible to respiratory pathogens. They have smaller, narrower airways. Their eustachian tube isn't quite uh, angled quite as well um, as ours are. Um, and their snot and their mucus tends to be an awful lot thicker as well. So that combination isn't great. And they, they Probably the respiratory illnesses have got to be up the top there. But all those things together tend to mean that they get sicker quicker and more often and more severely unwell than other children do. What is the best way to ask about the baseline. Sometimes these children come in and you do not know, you're a junior trainee, or even if you're a senior trainee or a consultant, you simply do, have not seen this child before and you don't know how the child behaves when they're poorly. Which is the best way to, to find out what the baseline is? Yeah, I think the baseline is really, really important. And that's one thing that I keep harping on about at the moment, that you have to know what a child is like normally to know how unwell they are at the moment. So a child might always be quite floppy and uncommunicative or this might be really different for them. Or a child might always be really agitated and not want to engage or this might be really different for them. Um, And it's easy for us as clinicians to put those symptoms down to their underlying condition, something called diagnostic overshadowing. Before I had Amy, I completely agree, it can feel quite uncomfortable to admit to a parent that you don't know much about the condition their child is facing and to have to ask them specifically what their child is like normally can feel a bit uncomfortable but as a parent I would say just get on with it admit that that you can't know everything be quite open about the fact that you can't know everything and I would say it's perfectly reasonable to say to a parent is your child normally like this I've never met your child before would they normally let somebody examine them or is this a bit unusual would they normally be okay with a stranger looking in the mouth or is this a little bit unusual would they normally let a nurse put an oxygen mask on their face or is this a bit unusual and just be very open and honest that that you're trying to get an angle on on what they're like normally and how they might be different the parents have obviously got concerns and that's why they've brought them along to you so admitting they know more about their child than you do I think is really valuable most of the parents that have children with complex needs do not like coming to hospital because mm-hmm. they spend half of their time in Absolutely, hospital. Absolutely, yeah. So I guess when they come to hospital, it must be that because they are worried. Absolutely, absolutely. It's a it's a big deal for them to come in and, and, and it's very easy for us to say, what are they doing here? They don't need to be here. But they've come for a reason and we need to acknowledge that reason. And you're right, they spend far more time going than, than is healthy going to physio, OT, um, audiology, cardiology, all sorts of other umpteen outpatient appointments. So to actually come to seek some help, they've got a good reason for it. So finding out why is really important. You mentioned a very interesting concept and I've heard about it a bit before but our listeners might not have heard about it it's called diagnostic overshadowing Mm -hmm. what does this mean so that's when a clinician puts down new symptoms to a pre-existing diagnosis so in autism for example we expect people with autism to perhaps have some agitation and some poor communication so when presented with somebody that is quite agitated it's easy for us to say that's just the autism 
Whereas actually finding out what their baseline is like and knowing whether or not this is normal for them can allow us to gauge whether or not um, they're more agitated than normal and if so, looking for a cause for that. So looking for a temperature or a source of infection or a source of pain. Similarly, in, in children with Down syndrome, they might be quite floppy, and we expect children with Down syndrome, Down syndrome to be floppy. Um, but knowing what they're like normally and whether this is worse than usual gives us a chance to say what's causing it this time round, rather than just assuming it's down to the Down syndrome. I know this might sound silly, but do all children with autism respond to pain in the same way? No, no, very, very, very different. Autism is a spectrum and all children, and adults as well, along that spectrum are very different. Some people will find that um, they are overstimulated by things, so the slightest touch causes them great distress, whereas other people are understimulated by things. So um, they actually have very high pain threshold. So again, that comes down to knowing the baseline and knowing what's normal for them. Do they normally respond to pain in this way? So again, we should just ask the parents, how does your child react to pain? Yeah, absolutely. Do you have any tips and tricks regarding the pure examination of the child? What can we do as clinicians to make the child and the family more comfortable when we examine them? Okay, so same as you do with absolutely any child, um, you need to be quite opportunistic with your examination. So we tend to, when we're assessing children, do an awful lot of observation, watching them play and interacting with, with us and also with their family and we still do that with kids with learning difficulties. We might need to ask the parents again about certain things that the child might like or dislike. Some children with learning difficulties, particularly things like um, autism, sensory processing disorder, Down syndrome, respond fairly negatively to certain um, sensory stimuli. So knowing that somebody's going to go absolutely crazy when they have their blood pressure done because they don't like that sensation is worth knowing, so you can leave it to the end of your examination. Some children who might have speech and language difficulties, sometimes something as simple as making the room very quiet and making sure that you've got no distractions and that they can actually hear what you're saying can make a big difference. Children with Down syndrome are fairly poor when it comes to auditory memory and understanding what they've heard, but they're great visual learners. So doing something like using sign or symbols or pictures can really make a difference to to them understanding what you're trying to say to them. The other thing about Down syndrome is that children tend to have a bit of a sensory processing delay. So if you say something to them, you need to give them time to hear that, to process it, to try and work out what that means, to formulate an answer and then to be able to physically produce that answer using um, their speech and and, uh, facial muscles. So sometimes it can be sort of eight to ten seconds worth of delay and we have a fairly short attention span in the ED so it can be tempting to move on and and think that the child hasn't understood us. Just because somebody has difficulties replying to us doesn't mean that they can't understand if given a chance. Otherwise, I would say involve the parents and the family and they will know an awful lot about how best to distract the child. Amy, for example, every time we go for blood tests, play specialists will bring out dolls and books and things and there is no point. She's had so many blood tests, she knows exactly what's going on and there is no way on earth you're going to be able to distract her. Um, So I know when I take her for blood tests, I just need to give her a big cuddle and get it over and done with. So ask parents what works for your child. Would it be useful for if we work regular in the ED department or in the paediatric assessment unit to have a little sort of booklet of regular things that we do? For example, check the mouth, do the blood pressure. If we would have these pictures, do you think this would be useful for, Absolutely, for yeah. children? Absolutely. And I, and I think the big thing about that is not just having it in the department, but it needs to be something that parents can access as well so that they can prepare them in advance. So when a child is, is unwell, there's very little prep time to be able to go over these things beforehand. 
we use a lot of what we call social stories um, with children with learning difficulties. So putting things very, very simply in, in picture format with, with a few words so that a child can understand what's likely to happen to them. And we use it with Amy for school trips and visits to, to hospital and things. So something like that beforehand can really make a difference. But you're right, as, a, as a, another measure, having some pictures to say, this is what we're going to do to you and, and um, making it as simple as possible can really help. It might not work, but it's worth a try. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Lovely. Um, I think what we'll do, we'll ask, we'll ask uh, Dr. Heron to give us a few of these um, websites and sort of information, if she if she has any, and I will link them down below in the in the description box because we often do not have the time to look up all these things, and I think we would find them in the in one place. It would be useful for us to have this as a as a homework. You know, I like to give a little <laughs> bit of a homework at the end of the podcast. Thank you once again to accept participated in, in this podcast it was it was a, it was lovely to have you and it was a lovely drive from Birmingham to Hull <laughs> uh, but it was definitely worth it I'm really looking forward to meet you again maybe to discuss about a, a different topic if you agree of course nice to see you Alex thank you bye thank you for staying with us until the end I'm looking forward to hear any feedback from you please follow us on Twitter and Facebook and let us know if you have any ideas of themes that could be discussed in the next episodes. If you enjoyed it, take a few minutes to rate us on your podcast app. Have a wonderful day!